episode was previously recorded and has been edited for the new Indie Business Podcast. Welcome to the Indie Business Podcast, dedicated to helping you break all the rules, build your own corporate ladder, and create the life you love. And now, here's your host, Donna Maria. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lifestyle CEO Show. I'm your host, Donna Maria, the original Lifestyle CEO, and you have arrived at the one show where we empower you to break all the rules, build your own corporate ladder, and create the life you love. Today is Monday, February 13th, and it is a great day for the Lifestyle CEO Show because we have a wonderful guest with us today. Jack Canfield is the founder and co-creator of the New York Times' number one best-selling series of books, Chicken Soup for the Soul. If you don't have a Chicken Soup for the Soul book in your library, you're probably in a, in a small minority, and I uh, suggest you run out and get one or two of them that, that apply to you in your personal life right away. Jack is a speaker. He has been called by, the new, by Time Magazine the publishing phenomenon of the decade. Welcome to the show, Jack. It's really great to have you here. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you, Donna Marie. Uh, you guys, Jack has a new book out, and today we are going to be talking about some of the principles shared in there. I know that uh, the listeners to this show are interested in starting their own businesses or they have businesses and just can't get enough of uniquely packaged information about how to be as successful as possible as business owners and also in our personal lives, since most of you out there are also home managers. And Jack's written a book called The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And i got to tell you, just looking at the cover, I knew I had to have this book because I am someplace and I would like to be someplace. And so this was the perfect book for me. Jack, can you tell us a little bit about, in your mind, what success is? I get that question a lot from people. What, what is it and how can you define it for yourself? Well, I think success is individual to each person, and it basically, for me, is if you're able to accomplish whatever goals and objectives you set for yourself in terms of income, service to the community, personal fulfillment, you know, those kind of things. I have seven different areas in my book that I go through that I think people should have goals in. Mm -hmm. Then if you're able to accomplish those, then you're successful. For one person, it might be simply to put their kids through college. For someone else, it might be to make a huge difference in the community. To me, it's a huge goal. I want to uh, impact one of way, because of way, because of way, because of way before I die. Okay. So we've sold 100 million chicken soup books, so we're one-tenth of the way there. Wow. That's, 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 that's a pretty good definition. And I'm looking at your book now, and I, I noticed that the very first thing you talk about is personal responsibility. Uh-huh. How does that fit into being able to achieve whatever success is for you? Well, one of the biggest problems for people is that they blame other people, they complain a lot, they defend themselves, and whenever you're doing that, you're not taking 100% responsibility for your life. And why that's so important to business owners and people working uh, from their homes and people trying to balance their lives and so forth is that if I think that something outside of me is responsible for my reality, then it, makes, it leaves me powerless. They're the ones that control me, whether it's the president, the economy, astrology, you know, my husband, the neighborhood, the town I live in, the time it is, etc. 
as opposed to it's me that's in charge. If I take the attitude that I'm 100% responsible, even if I'm only 50% responsible, what, what happens is I'm looking for my 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm finding out where that is. And I teach a formula, you may remember that's in the book, that says E plus R equals O. Mm-hmm. And, and literally everything in this book comes from this, this one formula, that there are events in your life, like 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, you know, your husband loses his job, your, one of your kids gets arrested for marijuana use, whatever. Those are events. Then I have a response to those events, and that equals the outcomes I get. It's kind of like 2 plus 2 equals 4. Mm-hmm. And if I don't like 4, then I have to do something different than I'm currently doing because that response to the way things are is only going to give me what I'm currently getting. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people, if you're not happy with your current reality, your current behavior, your habits, your thinking, your imagination, uh, what you're doing in life, those things are only going to get you what you're currently getting. And so if you want more, you have to do something different. And that's why it's a constant growth process, a constant mm-hmm. change process. And so we stop blaming the, you know, someone else mm-hmm. and start saying, okay, that's just the way it is. What can I do differently to get me what I want? Well, let's talk about finances, where the rubber often meets the road. And as small businesses, lifestyle CEOs, oftentimes, you know, are are strapped to some extent, lesser or greater, with the with the resources, financial resources that they have, and also time too, since most of our listeners are um, women with children still in the home. But in a financial sense, you, you have a story in your book about your experience with that and and how you basically set your mind to accomplish a goal. Would you say that having a goal is, is, is a significant step toward being able to overcome some of the events that are external to us? Yeah, one of the things, one of the things that really stops people from being more successful is they don't have a clear goal or a clear objective of what they're trying to achieve. Mm. Like Mark and I right now, and this sounds so huge to most people, but our goal is to sell a billion books by the year 2020. But when I started out back in the 19... 19- well, see, it would have been the late 60s, early 70s. I worked for a man named W. Clement Stone, and uh, I was uh, taking workshops from him, actually, before I worked for him. I was a high school teacher in Chicago. And as a high school teacher, I made $8,000 a year. They didn't pay you more for doing better. But he said, I want you to set a goal that's so huge that if you achieve it, it'd blow your mind. And so I said, okay, I'll set a goal to make $100,000 in the next year. I didn't have a clue how to do that. And this is one of the key things, is you, you don't have to always know the how. You simply have to commit to the what, and then the how will show up out of that. And I'll explain that in a minute. So what I did was I did two things he taught me to do. One, he said, I want you to go home, and I want you to visualize every day for a couple minutes what a $100,000 a year income would look like. What would your life be? How would it be different? Secondly, he said, make some symbol, some object that will remind you of this goal. So I made a $100,000 bill and put it on the ceiling above my bed. And the third thing he said is, I want you to have an affirmation. State it as if it's already done. So I said, I'm happily earning and investing $100,000 a year, uh, and God is my infant supply, and large sums of money come to me quickly and easily under the grace of God for the highest good of all concern, since I was a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. So then what happened is, uh, nothing happened for 30 days. I just did the processes. And then about 30 days into it, I had a, a $100,000 ideas in the shower, and I realized I had a book that I'd written for teachers, and I got about $2,000 a year royalty, so my total gross income was 10000 And it was called 100 Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in the Classroom. And I thought, you know, if I could sell 400,000 copies of that book, because I get $0.25 cents for each book, I would have $100,000 a year income. I didn't know how to do that. 
my publisher didn't know how to do that, but mm-hmm. at least I had a leverageable asset that I could work with. Mm-hmm. So then I started visualizing a hundred thousand dollar, a hundred or uh, four hundred thousand uh, copies of the book sold, and then um, I started getting ideas about how to do that. Um, and I was in my grandmother's bathroom and I saw a resource I'd always seen, but I never really saw it. And it was Reader's Digest. It said uh, eight million readers in seventeen languages. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, if eight million readers knew about my book, certainly. Uh, you know, 400,000 people would buy a copy of it. So I went and called them and asked if I could take an ad, and they said, uh, sure, and told them what I wanted to do. And they said, you need six months in a row. And they went through all the details and said, that'll cost you about $108,000. I said, we will not be doing this. I don't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, okay. So then we saw another resource. A few days later, my wife said, hey, there's something else in there besides ads. Why don't you write an article? So I wrote a story about self-esteem and parenting and sent that off and it got rejected. Anyway, I kept getting these ideas and doing things, and finally what happened were two things. Number one, I was giving a speech at Hunter College in New York, and 600 teachers, and a woman came up and said, I'd like to interview you. And I said, fine, who do you write for? She said, the National Enquirer. Well, at that time, they had 12 million readers weekly. So that article got published, and all of a sudden, people were buying my book like you couldn't believe it. But still not enough to make $100,000. So then we were at a bookstore, and my wife said, you know, if we were a bookstore, we'd make $3 a book instead of a quarter a book. We'd only have to sell 33,000 copies. So now we opened a mail-order bookstore, started selling our books through the mail, had to hire two high school students to come in, and eventually added other products because we saw people were buying through the mail. And now we had, um, you know, 32 products in our catalog. And at that point, the University of Massachusetts said, why don't you come over and have a booth? We're having a counselor's conference. And that weekend, we made $2,000 net profit on our book sales. We realized we had a $100,000 a year business if we could find 50 places to do that. To make a long story short, we did not make $100,000 that year. We made $92,000, but (laughs) we were blown away. Not bad. Not bad. Is is your wife available for consultation? Uh, Well, (laughs) yes, she is. (laughs) Oh, okay. We'll have to talk about that. What a great story. And I know know that was years ago. That's just the beginning of, of, of where you are now, but... So a couple things you said to me just stood out so strongly, and that was you said, um, I kept getting ideas and I kept doing things. Yeah. That is, you, you never looked around and, with ideas and said, gee, I've got these great ideas. You kept doing things. And the other thing that's so significant about what you said is you took what you had and then you just showed up with it. Yes, you, this, you, this is so important, uh, the, the, especially the first point you make, which is this. What I now know after 35 years of being, you know, mega successful is that there are a couple principles that if you apply them, they always work. Number one, you must have a clear uh, deadline, a clear goal, a clear place you're trying to get to. Uh, So that was $100,000. Number two, you have to visualize this goal as already achieved for a few moments every day. You, You know, just close your eyes. See it as if it's already done. You cut out some magazine pictures of the, the thing. If it's a house in Hawaii and a car or a certain level of income, put them on your refrigerator, look at it, close your eyes. It leaves that as a reminder. What this does is it programs the unconscious mind to start coming up with the solutions. And here's the real kicker. You must do this for a minimum of 30 days without interruption for this process to take hold. There was a study done at NASA where they had um, astronauts wear concave lens goggles for 30 days. They had to wear them 24 hours a day. And what this does, Donna Maria, is it makes 
your whole world appear upside down. So imagine trying to go through the day and feed your kids and wash the car and take a shower and, you know, do all, cook food, etc. And the whole world's upside down. You're, you're, you know, it just, you, you go crazy. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to find out if these guys would lose their sleep, if they'd become hostile, not be able to eat, to simulate the disorientation they'd feel in outer space. But here's what's important to us. 25 to 30 days into it, every one of the astronauts, their brain flipped the image right side up again. And what they now know is that it takes about 25 to 30 days to lock in a new way of thinking, a new neural pathway, if you will. Uh, and, and that's why most people's intentions don't manifest because they don't use this 30-day principle. You notice each time I told this story, and I didn't know this when it happened back in the 60s and 70s, is that it took 30 days for the new thing to occur, for the idea to occur. And then, as you said so brilliantly, you must act on it. You'll start to get inspired ideas for action. And those inspirations have to be acted on because they're your intuition telling you exactly what you need to do because at that point, you're tuned in. I call it the Internet, I-N-N-E-R, as opposed to the Internet. And we literally are connected to every other human being, and I believe to a force greater than us that literally guides us if we're willing to listen. But most people don't trust that still small voice within, and that's why they don't take action on it. Oh, that is the perfect segue into what we're going to talk about after our first break. Hey, you guys, if you were even the least bit motivated before you started listening to this show, I know you must be off the charts with questions and thoughts that you'd like to share with Jack. You can call us at 800-773-0355. This is a fantastic opportunity to talk with a man one-on-one who charges about $25,000 for every speaking appearance, and we are so grateful to have him here today. We'll be right back. This is the Lifestyle CEO Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lifestyle CEO Show. We are talking today with co-founder of the very mega-successful Chicken Soup for the Soul series, Jack Canfield. And for those of you who um, haven't yet visited his website, well, he has several, but I'm going to direct you to the a website called successprinciples.com, and that's where you can learn about Jack's new book, The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And while you're there, there's also a number of free resources, including a mentorship program, and you can sign up for that and get um, 30 days of emails from Jack and, and one of his colleagues to really kind of help you set your mindset up for success. And before we left, Jack, we were talking about the importance of taking a 30-day time period to kind of, I guess for lack of a better way, to kind of revalue and recreate the paradigm that you're viewing everything through. And one of the things that you write a lot about is self-esteem and confidence and how that fits into a person's ability or lack of ability to, to be successful at the goals they pursue. I work with a lot of women, and as a woman myself, this has always been a great area of struggle for me. Can you comment on some, some things or give some tips that women can do to kind of build, the, build ourselves up and keep ourselves with a positive viewpoint about who we are so that it makes it easier and we're more productive at pursuing our goals? Sure. I think the, the main thing that you have to do for self-esteem is to take charge of the way you think about yourself. Uh, there's only three things we have any control over, Donna Marie, and that's number one, our thoughts. Number two, the images we hold in our head. And number three, our behaviors. So there are thoughts, behaviors, and images that build self-esteem. 
in their thoughts, behaviors, and images that lower self-esteem. For example, if I think I'm a good person and I tell myself that consistently so that if someone says, you're an idiot, I go, well, they have a perceptual handicap, that's a different response than if they say I'm an idiot and I go, gee, they've only known me five minutes, how'd they figure it out so fast? And so basically you have to input into your brain positive thoughts. And the best way to do that, literally, are audio programs and books and seminars. Anytime you put yourself around people that are thinking a higher thought. So uh, one of my teachers is always talking about think a higher feeling thought. In other words, a thought that makes you feel better. So if I have arthritis and I'm pessimistic about getting better, that's not a higher feeling thought. I can have arthritis and be hopeful that it's going to improve. So I always want to be thinking a thought that makes me feel better about myself. And that's something It's very challenging because our thoughts primarily were unconscious for the first, oh, I don't know, 20 or 30 years of our life. So we have to put ourselves into a situation where we're listening to positive thoughts. So like listening to your show, uh, reading books that are uplifting, biographies of people that are inspiring, books on self-help like mine and the Chicken Soup books and all the other great writers that are out there. I mean, there's just hundreds and hundreds of books that one can read. And then the other thing is I really recommend a minimum of an hour a day uh, to listen to something uplifting. So like, and I call it hands-busy, mind-free time. So while you're doing the dishes, while you're putting on your makeup, while you're driving your car, perhaps even while you're pushing your kids around in a stroller, you can have on kind of an iPod or a, a you know cassette player or a CD player and listen to some of the, the motivational speakers that are out there, uh, both men and women, everyone from Tony Robbins to myself, Mm-hmm. And get your head in that space so it overcomes the negative programming that we've had so much of. It's so funny that you mentioned that. I recently purchased a, um, a system just for the kitchen so I didn't have to feel like I had to listen to the news while I was in the kitchen. Uh-huh. So I have my, uh, my, my positive audio tapes, and sometimes I listen to some of my favorite talk radio shows that have really good guests. And mm-hmm. the kitchen is cleaner because I actually like being in there more now. Right. It's an opportunity to do what to do what you're describing. And and also you talked about the challenges associated with that. In the world that we live in, there's so much negativity that it is is it sometimes hard for us to not see ourselves as a part of that when it surrounds us so much. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we come out of a culture that up until very recently, you know, was a, a male dominated culture and a lot of sexism and racism and ageism and so forth that existed or even unconscious and institutional let alone you know many of us are married to people who put us down and you know we often marry uh, our parents in a sense and so it's familiar even though it's not comfortable and so what we have to do is we have to be very intentional to start monitoring our thoughts for example in my seminar i'll have someone come up to the front of the room and say i can skydive and their arm will be strong i'll push down on their arm they'll have it out to their side then I'll have them say, I can't skydive, and her arm goes instantly weak. Because every time you say, I can't, it affects your physiology. Uh, and It weakens you. So we go through a number of, of different kind of thoughts. All the shoulds you think, all the I'll tries, and all the I have tos, as opposed to I choose tos, and I wills. All of these things weaken us and lower our self-esteem. And so I teach people how to create positive belief systems and how to get rid of negative uh, limiting thoughts. For instance, in, in our program, we write down every limiting thought you've ever taken on in life. And people start thinking about it. You know, all my food goes straight to my hips. I'll never have time to finish that. I'm not smart. I can't dance. All these kind of uh, things that you've programmed in there. And then we have the people in the group 
come up with the opposite statement, and then the entire group chants that opposite statement to them for about four or five minutes, and literally you watch people go through a transformation where mm-hmm. they start to cry, then they laugh, then oh. they look spaced out, but right. all of a sudden they start to breathe deeper and they're empowered. And these kind of techniques are available for everyone to use. They're in my book, they're in my tapes, and people can use these to change their self-esteem. Yeah, in, in part, you're describing a little bit like the habit creates the reality. Yes. And um, I, I know certainly uh, the Chicken Soup for the Soul books have done such a remarkable job of helping people along those lines, Jack, because they contain real stories. It's not, it's not real stories always of, like, famous people who have achieved a certain level of, of status and, and worldly recognition, but everyday people who, in small ways, have changed their world in big ways just by changing the way they view things. Absolutely. I, just to give you an example, we did a book, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul at Work, and there's a story in there about a woman who took a workshop with a friend of mine named Susan Jeffers who wrote uh, a book called Feel the, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And uh, she said that. This, this woman went back to her office after a Susan Jeffers workshop with the idea that instead of waiting for them to treat her nicer, she was going to start treating everyone else nicer and just see what would happen. Mm-hmm. And she was going to take the position that, that her, her job mattered and that she was going to act like the CEO even though she was only the receptionist. <laughs> and so she started uh, motivating everyone and telling them good job and bringing in flowers for her t- desk and everything. And within 32 days, she had a, um, a, a promotion. And so the idea is you don't have to wait for other people to treat you nice. Everything you want, you can go out and do. And so, as you said, all the chicken soup stories are ordinary people that have done extraordinary things simply by changing one or two little behaviors in their life. And, and that, that story of the, sec- the receptionist or the secretary you just described is so powerful because it reminds us that we really can change our reality. We can't change other people, but by our behavior, we might be able to change the way they view us. Absolutely. And also the way we view ourselves. I mean, both happen simultaneously. See, if I want you to uh, like me, I have to like me first. Because mm-hmm. if I don't like me, I'm going to come up in a kind of a sniveling little, you know, begging way for your attention. Right. But if I like me, I'm going to come up all happy and cheery, and I'm going to be trying to lift you up. And when I try to do that, you then feel lifted, and then you like me more. So, right, and then, and then both of us are lifted up. Absolutely. That, that's so powerful. Um, we, I have, you know, a network of, of women. We get together and we talk about these kinds of issues. Um, as they concern, you know, being good home managers and business owners and trying our best not to compromise either one, which, as you know, as a dad, is a huge task. But um, one of the things that's so powerful, sort of following up on what you described in your book, is the statement that it's not against you, it's for me. And I know a lot of people struggle with um, achieving certain goals because sometimes the people around us, can begin to feel a little bit differently about us, not always in a positive way when we start to achieve those goals. And in in some ways, the way it's described to me by some of the people that I talk with, in some ways it can feel as though they feel kind of a sense of guilt for achieving some of the goals that they set for themselves. Do you find that that happens to people that you talk to? Oh, sure. A lot of people, uh, what happens, two things. One is that sense of guilt. Even when I first uh, became a millionaire and moved up to Santa Barbara where I live, it took me about two years to stop feeling bad about having as much money as I did because so many of my friends didn't have that kind of money. And I think the other thing is that you mentioned is that people, when you start to succeed, it confronts them with their own lack of going for their dreams. 
for most people, it's easier to be comfortable than it is to go for what they want. Mm-hmm. Whenever you go for your dreams, you're going to have to experience some discomfort, some risk, some anxiety. It's just natural. It comes with the territory. And so most people would rather just kind of stay in the safe place than risk becoming who they really want to be. And so when you start to achieve your goals, you know, it's the old union thing that always happened in factories where a union guy would get, uh, you know, uh, promoted to management. And then all his friends would say, oh, you think you're a big deal now because you got a tie and a white shirt. Well, they're trying to bring you back down to their level because it's confronting them with the fact that they're not going for it. And so, yes, you'll have that in your life. And what you have to do is realize that as you grow, you're going to attract uh, people that are actualizing at a higher level, and sometimes your old friends will fall away. That doesn't mean you have to leave all your friends, but a lot of them will literally disappear out of your life as you attract new people that are actualizing at a higher level into your life. Yeah, that that is that is a source of great anxiety for so many people. And do do you think it really some people literally, as a result of that frustration and, and those relationships, will give up some of their dreams? Well, you know, there's a million reasons people give up their dreams, but that certainly is one of them. I think you you can keep friends and become successful. I was just with a man named John Bradshaw, who mm-hmm. is a famous psychotherapist, and he said when he became a, a multimillionaire because of a book he wrote and a TV show he did. A lot of his friends, uh, you know, he would have to pay for them to go fishing and to buy their golf clubs and do all that. And he was willing to do that because he liked them. But uh, he said, you know, after a while it kind of became a pain in the neck because no one was pulling their own weight. Mm-hmm. And so you find that you're hanging out with people that are pulling their own weight and you move up that social mm-hmm. ladder, if you will. And um, that's part of the growth process. I think it's exciting. I always tell people, and you made a point, you have a, a group, a, a network you call it, I would call it a mastermind alliance of uh, homemakers and people Mm -hmm. that are running businesses. And I think that's critical, that people get together with people that are in the same situation they are. Uh, But I always say, try to find somebody one level up. Mm -hmm. So if I was one of your listeners, I'd want to try to get with you because you've already tackled some of these issues and you've thought them through and you have solutions. And so why not find people that are already doing what you want to do and create a group of five or six people? Mm -hmm. And people always say, well, why would they want me in their group? And the answer is because you're creating the group. Mm. It's an idea they didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you want to hang out with people in some way, whether it's their books, their tapes, or seminars, but hopefully in person on a regular basis, mm-hmm. uh, that, are, that are doing better than you. So if you want to be making 50000 a year, you're only making twenty five. find some people making fifty, and get a group together and meet maybe every Tuesday over breakfast or lunch or you know, mm-hmm. Saturdays in the morning, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. Well, that, that's, thank you for saying that. And certainly, of course, uh, one of the reasons that I was so excited to be able to talk with you on the show is because you have achieved so much. And I know that the lifestyle CEOs listening to this show out there are so excited to have an opportunity to pick your brain for a little bit. We're going to take a break, but not a long one because we want to maximize our time with Jack. The caller number, the toll-free number for you to call your questions and comments in for Jack is 800 800- Seven seven three zero three five five. Now, if you're out there feeling alienated, if this is a not good, not a good day for you, if you're feeling like you just can't pick yourself up and get back on the right track to pursuing your goals, this is the show to listen to and the show to participate in. I hope that you're going to call in eight hundred seven seven three zero three five five. This is the Lifestyle CEO Show, and we'll be right back.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lifestyle CEO Show, where we empower you to break all the rules, build your own corporate ladder, and create the life you love. Today's show is sponsored by the Handmade Beauty Network. The Handmade Beauty Network is a trade organization supporting the business goals of manufacturers of handmade beauty products, and we have about 450 members in the United States and seven other countries across the globe. If you're looking for some sugar scrubs, some lotions, some creams, and other products made with a high degree of natural ingredients, then you're going to want to go to the Handmade Beauty Network at handmadebeauty.com and click on our member directory and find stores and stores of products that will help you enhance your life and the life of the people around you. That's handmadebeauty.com. On today's show, we've got Jack Canfield of Chicken Soup for the Soul fame. His newest book, The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, is showcased beautifully at his website, thesuccessprinciples.com. That's thesuccessprinciples.com. And if you haven't visited there, I would encourage you to go and take a look and make sure that you... Take advantage of the free resources there. Now, Jack, you've got something called your private mentorship program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It says free here, and I'm, uh, is that for real? Yes, it is. Uh, what we, well, I was talking earlier about the fact that you have to do something for 30 days to get it into your system so that your unconscious and subconscious mind, you know, take it in as a program. And uh, so we decided when the book came out, we didn't want to just write a book. I can write books like falling off a log. That doesn't really interest me anymore. <laughs> what interests me is changing lives. Mm. So what we're doing constantly, and this is a good thing for anyone running a business to think about, mm-hmm. quit thinking about the business serving you and start thinking about the business serving others because the more you serve others, if you keep asking the, the question, how can we better serve people? What else could I give them so this will work? Because I want it to work. And if it works, then they're going to tell others, and the business will take care of itself. So we said let's create a 30-day mentorship program. Obviously, we couldn't mentor hundreds of thousands of people individually in person. But we said, what are the most important things they need to be keeping reminded of over this first 30 days of employing the principles of this book? So we put that on what's called an autoresponder. So once you sign up for it, then automatically every day you get a new uh, email that allows you to uh, take one of the principles and helps you focus on the application of it to your life. And so it's a very powerful little program, and I get positive feedback from it all the time. Also, if you go to www.jackcamfield.com, we also have, if people want to go deeper than that, we have a telecoaching program, and we have an Internet coaching program where you actually interact with a a mentor uh, in terms of, like, you know, send emails back and forth. It's much more personalized and active. Okay. Now, is this something that you do? Are people trained by you? People trained by me. Okay. And th- th- those there's a charge for, but they're, they're much more deep, and they, they go through uh, the principles of the book. So it's kind of like someone taking you and saying, okay, you've read the book. Uh, the problem now is most people read it and they put the book on a shelf. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm, I've learned is you've got to interact with those principles. Like we've got churches that teach one principle a week, and they have a study group, and by the end of the year they've gone through you know, 52 of the principles. There are 64 in the book. And um, mm-hmm. So what happens is it's a way to stay focused. And that's the key thing is that most people, they get excited, but they don't have a system for keeping themselves on track. And that's why having a coach or a mentor uh, or a group you belong to is so critical because there's accountability built in. Right. So would you recommend that someone go to 
successprinciples.com first and, and take a look at the free resource and, and then also go to your website at jackcanfield.com and, and explore some of the paid resources, which it doesn't look like they're that expensive, though, for what you get, Jack. No, they're not. They're not at all. Uh, we really believe that if we serve people and do it in an economical way, that we'll get enough you know, business because there'll be so many people that will be served that mm-hmm. we'll do fine economically. I mean, our chicken soup for the soul books only cost twelve ninety five. Mm-hmm. We've always done them in paperback, and the reason is to keep them mm. available to the average person. Right. But we've made you know tens of millions of dollars because we've reached a hundred million people, mm-hmm. and so that's always been my uh, theory of business. You know, is that mm-hmm. if you reach a lot of people with a valuable product at a reasonable price, you'll do well. Yeah. Well, I, I know that people are going to go check that out. I certainly have, and I'm enjoying it. And you know what? One of the things that occurs to me as we're talking is. Uh, one of the questions I get a lot from people anyway is real fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. Fear that the product or service that they're offering is not going to be accepted by their target audience. And you talked a little bit in a couple of our segments ago about how you uh, you wrote an article for Reader's Digest and they rejected it. And then I read somewhere, too, uh, in your bio about how you uh, started with the Chicken Soup series and how that was rejected on at least one or two occasions before you were able to get it out there. Can you tell us about that and how you overcame what, what otherwise could have been negative feelings? Sure. Move forward. Well, first, I wish it had only been one or two rejections. No, the first chicken soup for the soul book was rejected, get this, by 144 publishers. Well, I knew it was more than a few, but I didn't want to say a number. I know. Over. I mean, it would be like guessing someone's weight and being over. Yeah, I, I know if that. if I said one or two, I'd at least be right. Yeah, you're... you're, you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what happened was we had an agent. We went to New York with a literary agent. We went to visit eight different publishers over three days, and they all rejected the book. And then we sent it to 22 more in New York with an agent, and they rejected it. Said it was a stupid title. Nobody reads short stories. So then our agent actually gave us the book back. And Mark and I went down to the, what that time was called the uh, uh, Booksellers Association. It's now called Book Expo America. They had 4,000 publishers had booths there. So we went from booth to booth to booth for three solid days. Would you publish our book? Would you be interested? We'd explain it and pitch it, and they'd, we'd get no, no, no. Three days in a row. Mm. So it was late on the third day. The little publisher down in Florida said, well, we'll at least read the manuscript. We'll take a look at it. And so two weeks later, they said, we'll, we'll publish the book. And little did we know, they were actually going out of business very slowly. Uh, but this book revitalized them. They sold 8 million copies in the first really? uh, three years Yeah, uh, of a book that nobody thought was going to sell that much. So the lesson there is never give up. You have to persevere. And if you go back to your original question about rejection, see, Mark and I think there's no such thing as rejection. And this mm-hmm. is a, a, a really radical concept. If I were to ask you to have lunch with me after this interview and you said no, I would, most people would say, Jack got rejected. And I would, I would say, look, I didn't have anyone to eat lunch with before I asked you. I don't have anyone to eat lunch with after I asked you. My life didn't get worse. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's a numbers game. If I ask enough people, someone's going to say, sure, I'll have lunch with you. Right. So if I have a product or a service, a lot of people probably are in network marketing companies where they're out there selling a weight loss program or some kind of nutritional product or whatever. And, you know, you're told, go tell everyone you know about it and so forth. And there's always this fear that they're going to reject us. Well, so what? They weren't buying it from you before. They're not buying it from you now. Nothing got worse. Mm-hmm. It's that I think it's just that fear in childhood of, like, walking across the dance floor and asking someone to dance or asking your 
mom to borrow the car, and they said no, and that somehow it's going to bring up those negative feelings again. And I say just breathe through it. It uh, goes back to that book title from our friend uh, Susan Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm-hmm. And in my seminar, I do an exercise where everyone has to mill around asking for something, and they get uh, you, you count up the number of no's you give. So I would give like nine no's, and then the 10th person would ask me something, I would say yes. Yeah. And that takes about 15 minutes, but everybody gets a yes toward the end of the exercise. Right. And what we're teaching people is never give up. Yeah. You know, if, I, if, if little Jack Canfield from West Virginia can have a multi-million dollar publishing business, anybody can do anything. Trust me. Okay, I'm going to isolate that clip and play it over and over again on my website <laughs> when people come to visit. I love what you, by the way, um, if you did invite me to lunch, I would not say no. But well, thank you very that, much. <laughs> um, you know, what, what, one of the things that, that's striking me about what you're, what you're sharing is that you had not only set goals, but you had passion mm-hmm. for what you were doing. And so for, for listeners, I mean, we have listeners that are that are authors. We have listeners that are product manufacturers. In fact, most of them manufacture some kind of product, or or um, and, and a few also provide services. And mm-hmm. so, what you're describing in part is that you had set some goals based on a passion that you had to reach people with a message. Mm-hmm. And what you're describing is that that passion, in some respects, when you were getting a lot of rejections is what was fueling you and Mark to go forward. That must have been, I mean, I would imagine that everybody who's listening to the show that has a business has been rejected at some point. And so what a great story it is that you and your partner just refused to allow that to change your direction. Yeah, if you really have a passion, think of the woman that started Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Mm-hmm. Think of this, I can't remember her name right now, I just interviewed a woman uh, that's doing products for the home and for babies uh-huh. that are toxic-free because her child mm-hmm. uh, was basically dying right. and uh, right. found out it was all the, the, the poisons that were in all the cleaning material. So she mm-hmm. went back to her grandmother, who was still alive, and found all these natural uh, home cleaning products that they used to literally make at home on the farm and started marketing those. And she was so passionate, not out of her own need to make money, but out of her desire to serve people that might have a similar problem with their children. Right, and that, that's so amazing that you say that can carry you through. We're going to take a little bit of a break. This is the Lifestyle CEO Show. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone out there, all you Lifestyle CEOs. We are coming up on the final segment of our show. If you have a comment or question for our guest, Jack Canfield, author of The Success Principles, Feel free to call us toll-free at 800-773-0355. Jack has graciously shared with us so many of his tips for things that he has done in his own life. And the last one we were talking about was um, overcoming that sort of fear of rejection. Jack, I have a friend who sells, um, I can't remember exactly what he sells for a network marketing company, and he wakes up every morning thinking, okay, you know, in his prayer time, he says, okay, God, I need an average of 22 no's before I get to my one yes. Mm-hmm. And that motivates him to start his day, like, and he counts them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, just say no and don't waste your time about it because I need to get to my yes. Well, I, remember, I have a friend who, who uh, was selling something door-to-door. I forget what it was right now. But each sale, when he finally made it, was worth $250 and to him. And what he saw was that it was taking about 10 rejections to get one yes. Mm-hmm. So what he did to change his attitude about it was every time he get a no, he'd say, thank you for the $25. And people uh. would say, what? He'd say, well, I get a, I get a yes uh, every 10 times. And uh, so your, your no was uh, nine-tenths of the way there. 
and that's worth $25 to me. That, that alone, people got so intrigued by his attitude, actually increased his sales to where he's getting a yes with every five people. But the main idea was he realized every no was worth $25 rather than it was worth zero, and that kept him motivated to keep going. Mm-hmm. Jack, how would you suggest people who are new in business change their mindset to make it, uh, I guess, easier for them or more palatable, easier for them to you know, name the price for their service or their product? I work with a lot of people who... Um, just just really have a hard time setting a really good price for what it is that they're offering, a price that covers their costs and makes them a reasonable profit. Well, I think the thing I've learned from marketing seminars that I've taken over the years and we've applied in our own business is you have to test. In fact, there are some times when a higher price actually gets you more sales. Mm-hmm. For example, when I started as a speaker, I was $300 a day, and I thought that was a lot of money back then. Right. And, uh, you know, if you've got 100 gigs a year, you're making $30,000, and that was a good income. Mm-hmm. But then I found out that if you weren't at least 3000 a day, people at the high levels didn't think you were worth anything. Oh. And so one year, we decided that every person that called us and asked us what our fee was, we were just going to raise it by $100 a day until we got a no. And so we said 400 then 500 then 600 then 700 then 800 and it was only at $1,200 that someone said, that's a little pricey for us. And so we established our fee that year at $1,200. Mm-hmm. And then each year we just raise it by a couple hundred. And as you mentioned earlier, I get $25,000 for a one-hour talk right now. Now, that's because I'm a celebrity author, but the reality is there are people out there like Dr. Phil that get 125000 to talk. Mm-hmm. And so I always say what you do is you test it. Like let's say you do a mailing. Do a mailing at five different price points you know, to different people on the mailing list. Every fourth name gets a different price or whatever, and to see what happens. And so most people don't test enough, and so they just assume based that it'll be too expensive or too cheap. And uh, my experience is, you know, experiment, 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 and then take your data and, and go with it, because often uh, a higher price will actually get you more sales. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, I, I love that story in your book where you talked about that. And you also have a great chapter on success and money. It's really interesting. You've got uh, money, you call them more money ideas. And one of them is thinking outside the box. When everyone hears people say that, oh, you know, you have to think outside the box and you have to be creative. But do, do you find that because so many people, and I know certainly Lifestyle CEO listeners on the show, are, are really focused at least 90, 95% of the money they make selling whatever it is they sell is going to be on the Internet. And, and, and so there's always other people selling what you are selling on the Internet, thinking outside the box. Can you talk a little bit about how that fits into your success principle format? Well, basically, Mark and I created something called Bypass Marketing where we realized that most people don't go into the – well, two things that happen. One is we realized only one out of seven people goes into a bookstore to buy a book in a given year. So if you're selling books, being in a bookstore is not the best place to be. People are buying them in supermarkets, drugstores, uh, airports, etc. And then we said, where do people never expect to see a book? And if they saw one, they'd be very curious why it was there. Well, you don't expect to see a book in a gas station. You don't expect to see a book in a restaurant or bakery. So we started going to nail salons, bakeries, any time where people had to wait in line and they'd have attention, like a Starbucks. They now sell tapes and books in there. And, and we'd say, would you be interested in carrying our book? So all of a sudden, you're in a bakery, and the guy says, uh, why is this book being sold here? And the baker says, oh, this book's the best thing since sliced bread, which is an old kind of <laughs> phrase that people had. Well, we were selling thousands of books in this one bakery in Massachusetts, 
in Ohio, we were in a restaurant chain where if you came in alone and they would, you know, people were bored when they're sitting alone waiting for the food, they'd hand you a chicken soup book and say, maybe you'd like to read this while you're waiting. And then at the end of the meal, they'd say, would you like us to add that book to your, your tab? Because people were now so into it, they wanted to finish it. Mm-hmm. And so we just uh-huh. kept looking at every possible thing and saying, how could we use this? How could we use this? And, and with bypass marketing, you realize the people you're trying to reach, like if I'm trying to reach people that are parachuters, I'm not going to go to a bookstore. I want to be where, I want to be at the airport. I want to be where they buy their parachutes. I want to be where they get on the airplane to jump off the parachutes, so, mm-hmm. you know, and so forth. And so always looking at where can I reach people, we use what we call a five-by-five five matrix, which says I have a product. What are five groups of people who would be interested? So when we did Teacher Soul, we said teachers, retired teachers, principals, parents of teachers, we give them on Parent Appreciation Day, and teachers that are in training at universities. There's five different groups. Now, what are five ways to reach each of those groups? We could reach them through magazine ads. We could reach them through the Internet. They belong to teachers associations. We could present at those conferences. You know, and so now you have 25 specific action steps, five for each group, uh, and, and five times, you know, five one ways to reach each group. So uh, that gave us plenty to do for over a year. That, that, is a, that is a fascinating cut. Did you develop both the bypass marketing and the 5x5 five five matrix, the two of you, for chicken soup specifically? Well, the 5x5 five, the, the five five matrix was developed by a guy named John Kramer, who wrote a book called A Thousand and One Ways to Market Your Book, uh-huh. which we read and made a post-it for each of the ways. And then every time we did one of them, we took the post-it off the wall until the wall was empty. It took us three years <laughs> to achieve that. <laughs> that. You know, that's such a great example of something. It sort of brings us full circle to what you described earlier, which is, there are some good books and tools and resources out there, and what most people do is they buy them and put them on a shelf, and they yes. never get to them. And what you did was literally you, you got a hundred and a thousand and one post-its, and you made that real for you. And so I, I guess what I'm describing is, is any book and yours with the success principles, because there are certain success principles, um, if you divided them up among, you know, the 45 days or however many success principles there are and really made a concerted effort to incorporate in a small or large way, that principle into your life and your business that day, that would make the book come alive to you personally. Absolutely. In other words, a book read is a nice entertainment experience, but what you want is a book that's been applied. And that's why I'm teaching now, read fewer books, but apply them. Um, I used to read a book a day because I took a speed reading course, but mostly I'd forget what I read. Uh-huh. So now I'm taking, you know, about a book a week, and each week I t- if I could just find five or six ideas from a book, and put those into practice, that's been a valuable book because at the end of a year, I'll have like 250 new things I've done that I wouldn't have done otherwise. And so we teach something called the Hour of Power. And the Hour of Power says, find one hour a day. And here's where you find it, by the way. Turn the TV off. Uh, the average American's watching three hours of TV <laughs> a day. And so if you turn off the TV for an hour, that's 365 additional hours a year. That gives you nine 40-hour extra work weeks. And what we say you should do with that hour is read for 20 minutes, visualize and meditate for 20 minutes, and exercise for 20 minutes. And if you do those three things, you're going to be healthier, happier, and wiser at the end of the year, and that's what we want to be. Uh, read, visualize, and exercise. Mm-hmm. Well, th- those are certainly things that anybody can do, uh, home manager, business owner, or anything. Wow, we have just got a few more minutes to go. And, Jack, like, where can I go to hear you speak? Where's the next place that I can just buy a ticket to and get a chance to hear some of these concepts in person? 
Well, we list all of my speaking engagements at my website, Jack Canfield, at C-A-N-F-I-E-L-D, jackcanfield.com. Right. And it also has our summer training. I do a seven-day training once a year. That's it. And last year we had 288 people from 14 countries, and many of them were home, uh, home business owners. And uh, literally most of those people have uh, doubled and tripled their income. The promise in that workshop is that you'll double your income and double your time off in three years or less. So that's double your income and have twice as much free time. Because once you start developing systems and learn how to delegate, learn how to create affiliate marketing campaigns and how to co-venture with people, et cetera, mm -hmm. then success gets a whole lot easier. And we teach people all those principles. And also uh, on those websites are uh, all my other tapes. And like we have a thing called Maximum Confidence for those people who want to raise their self-esteem. Mm -hmm. It's a six-hour uh, CD program. And also people can go to chickensoupforthesoul.com and they can, we have now 111 chicken soup titles in print. And uh, I recommend that you read a few of those stories as you go to bed every night because they put uh -huh. you in a positive attitude when you wake up the next morning. I wonder what those 141 uh, people that rejected you are thinking now. I hope. Do any of them publish the Chicken Soup series now? No, uh, we made a lifetime contract with one publisher. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> there's 141 angry publishers out there. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they well, just, I meet them every once in a while and they go, boy, I wish I hadn't said no to you. you know? They missed that opportunity. <laughs> But we all make mistakes, you know. I, I don't I don't hold that again. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I guess that's great. Well, I'm so glad that uh, the one publisher. Who is it, by the way? It's called Health Communications HCI down in Florida, oh. and um, people, you know, it, it's a great publisher. If anyone's looking to publish, mm -hmm. uh, they're a really good publisher to work with, and they've treated us really well. And our books now are in 44 languages around the world as a result of that. Well, congratulations to them, and, and to think that they would have gone under if. If you talked about co-venturing and partnering and what, mm -hmm. what a wonderful partnership that is, and it has blessed so many people, um, me and many of my friends and family members included. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, and I want to let everybody know that in early summer, a new chicken soup book specifically created and designed for entrepreneurs will be out, right, Jack? Yeah, Chicken Soup for the Entrepreneur Soul, three years into making, wonderful stories from people running home businesses to people that started something uh, like Pepperidge Farm Homes uh, Bread was started in a woman's kitchen because her son was allergic to white flour, and now it's a household name. That's right. Well, we're definitely uh, going to be checking that out. Thank you so much for all of the great ideas and, and the, just the inspiration and encouragement that you bring to our listeners, Jack. really appreciate having you on the show. Coming up, everyone, on February 20th, we've got Paula Dean, best-selling cookbook author and owner of the Lady and Sons Restaurant in Savannah and the host of Paula's Home Cooking. And does she have a lifestyle CEO story to tell? She was raising two children on her own and starting by making sandwiches in her kitchen and having her sons deliver them. She has now built an empire. On February 20th, that's Paula Dean. February 27th, we've got an expert in managing family business. And our first show in March is going to be an attorney who's going to talk to us about how to hire people to help us grow our businesses. Until then, this is Donna Maria signing off on the Lifestyle CEO Show. I'll see you guys next week. And in the meantime, go out there and break all the rules, build your own corporate ladder, and create the life you love. The Indie Business Podcast is powered by the Indie Business Network. For more information, visit www.indiebusinessnetwork.com.